worship team, thank you very much. This is really anointed. The rest of you can take your seats. Before I even get into my sermon, I'm going to just give you a, a couple of insights that have been rattling around in my brain for a couple of days now, just because this brings it out. First of all, all prayer is a reflection of our relationship with God. I don't care what vocabulary you use. Somebody came to me on Friday and asked me to give him the right vocabulary. Should I call God El Shaddai? Should I call Jesus Yeshua? Because what they really want is greater power in prayer, greater results in prayer. But it doesn't matter what name you use if you don't have relationship. It's the relationship that's important. If you don't know God, you can call him anything and it's the same as if, you know, one name is as good as another. But let the name you give, let the name you use reflect relationship. Not what you know about someone way up high, but someone who you embrace in relationship. So I asked God to expand my understanding of the name Abba. Without going into a teaching on that, I said, Lord, give me a new insight. I teach on this all the time. I'm going to teach it on it on Wednesday night. We're starting a school of prayer in Brumaria. I'm really excited about this because God has just put prayer on my heart. And so we're going to teach people how to pray. I did a whole master's degree on the Lord's Prayer. And uh, at Tucky's and, and taking the Greek text and, and then sort of reconstructing it in Hebrew and Aramaic and, and, you know, comparing that to ancient Jewish prayers and saying, okay, now what's the difference? And I found out there's a whole lot of difference. So I'm going to teach on that, but we're going to teach on other things as well so that people's daily life, daily prayer life is structured and, and, and powerful. But one of the things I teach on is when we talk about our Father is the word Abba. And so I asked God to give me a new insight. And this was the interesting thing that he did. He, he showed me a picture of myself and my son Benjamin. My son Benjamin is 14 years old. And we're sitting on the couch together. And my son made a joke. And it was a really funny joke. And I thought, you know, that joke is so funny. I could have said that. That's as good as I could do. You know, because, I mean, before he's, like, making kid jokes. Now he's making decent jokes. Okay, that's a good joke. And I thought, I see myself in him. And this is the thing. God is Abba when he sees himself in you. That was the most amazing thing, because usually we think about what God gives us but we never put it from the perspective of God that he looks at us and says, hey, I see myself in you. I like what you did. I like what you said. I would have said that. And when we reflect God's own nature, then he sees himself in us and he's truly Abba. So I'm going to give you that for free because that's not what I'm here to talk about. I asked Bota what he's been talking about and he said he's been talking about women in the Bible. So I decided I was going to preach on a woman in the Bible. So can we put the, the PowerPoint up there? There we go. 
the Abrahamic anointing of Rebecca. So we're going to talk about Rebecca, but from the standpoint that Rebecca has something you may never have heard about, that she has an Abraham anointing. What is an Abraham anointing? We're going to get to that too. But I want you to understand that the women in the Bible are not just role models for women. The people of the Bible are role models for all of us. The Esther anointing, most of you may know, is to be, you know, born for such a time as this. To come into the kingdom for such a time as this. And that means there's something that God has raised you up for that's irrespective of, of your, your, your faith and your, uh, your, your relationship with God. And so a step of faith is required for you to fulfill something God wants you to do. Otherwise, it could be disaster. He's put you at the right place at the right time. And that doesn't have to be a woman. That can be a man or a woman. In the same way, an Abraham anointing is a pioneer anointing. That God wants you to, to, to do something that hasn't been done. But we'll talk about that. Let's get a little bit of background first of all. The background to this whole story is this. Abraham sends his servant to find a wife for his son Isaac. He's got his son and she needs, he needs a wife, all right? But he doesn't want just anyone. He sends his servant with a particular task, okay? Let, let's just see what Abraham says, asks him to do. In Genesis 24 is where we find the story. Verses 3 and 4 say, Swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of the earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. That's all Abraham asks him to do is just find somebody that's related. Somebody that has a little bit of a similar background who's not a Canaanite. That's really all it takes. That's all I want. That's all I'm asking for. I'm not asking for much. Just make sure she's not a local girl. Make sure that she's somebody from back home. Same culture, same values, same language. But the servant thinks, I need to get him a really great wife. And he goes beyond the mandate. Notice this. He wants to find a specific kind of woman. Okay? So he develops a really great plan. Let's look at this. He prays and asks God to give him the right one by saying in verse 14, Let the young woman to whom I shall say, Please let down your jar that I may drink, and who shall say, Drink, and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. He doesn't believe in a wife. He believes in the wife. He wants the one, the one that has been appointed by God to be his wife. I didn't believe in the one until I found the one. When I found the one, then I believed in the one. I have a cool love story. God told me in 1984 that I was going to marry a South African. I didn't know it was going to be 1994 before I finally found her and married her. But it was, it was an amazing journey that brought me here and has kept me here. Kept me trapped in South Africa. But 
But I really like my story and, and, and how God showed me that this is the one. One of the things, one of the signs that God gave me was about five months before I really met my wife, the Lord used the Joseph story to inspire me to say that um, my wife was going to be like, like Joseph's wife. Joseph's wife, Joseph is, is uh, raised to the palace and he's given a wife named Asenet, the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On. Right. So I don't know anybody by that name, but the Lord said, this is your wife. So I was serious. I, I, I took a cokey and I wrote it on my mirror, Asenet is coming. Because I was ready to get married by that point. And so then, you know, you're a scholar, you don't know anybody by that name, so you look at the meanings of the names. Well, the meanings of the name don't really help out. Asenet means follower of neat, goddess uh, of wisdom and handicrafts. Well, okay. Hmm. Then, okay, she's the daughter of a priest. Uh, maybe it's a pastor's daughter. So I'm looking at the pastors I know who have daughters, thinking, okay, is there, that didn't really work out. He's the priest of On. On is an Egyptian name for a city that later changes in Hellenistic times to Heliopolis, which means Sun City. And South Africa has a Sun City, so maybe it's somebody from Sun City. Maybe she just worked in Sun City. I don't know. I just, I'm looking for some Sun City connection. That didn't work out. So I just put it on the shelf. A little bit disappointed. Five months later, I met my wife. And, and uh, I thought, well, this is a really nice girl, and, and she'll be a nice friend. But we started getting closer and closer until finally it became clear, this is the one. And I said, well, what about Asenet? And the Lord said, look at the spelling of the name, and all the letters of Sinet's name are in that name. And that was such a cool, you know, uh, prophetic word for me, because after we got married, the first couple years of our marriage were not a honeymoon. It was, it was a lot of fighting. But I never questioned, did I marry the right one or not? Because God made it so clear. One time somebody asked me or mentioned to me, oh, Chuck, it's so cool that God gave you the perfect wife. And I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. I have definitely been guilty of misinforming you. He did not give me the perfect wife. And he did not give her the perfect husband. But I know for a fact that it is the one he wants. He's appointed me to be married to, that we are appointed. I'm going to stand before Jesus one day and answer the question, did my wife become who God has called her to be? I was appointed to help her become somebody. She was appointed to help me become who I am. In fact, I could not have done the ministry that I have if she had not been my wife. I don't get to say to Jesus, look, Jesus, I told her what the Bible says about forgiving those people, and she just didn't want to do it, so it's on her. No. If my wife is struggling with something, I need to pray for her. I need to support her. I need to do something to help her become who God has called her to be, because I have to answer for that. I believe in marriages that are appointed by God. I met a lady the other day. Married for 29 years to a pastor who divorced her and told everybody she was crazy. And then she says, Chuck, 
And she started mentioning different pastors who did exactly the same. They've left their wives, and the reason they left their wives is because she's in depression, she's crazy, she's crazy, she's crazy. She says, Chuck, what is going on? I said, I wish I could tell you. But I know some of those pastors at one time were judgmental of other people who did that. May I not ever allow myself to, to get to a point where where there's a disconnect between my wife and I so that, that, you know, I just would rather find a way, find some loophole that I can say, okay, I, need, I can leave her and let her go. Because I've been appointed by God to be her husband, to help her become who God's called her to be. And if she's struggling emotionally, if she's struggling, you know, physically or in, in any other way, I need to be there for her. So I'm a big believer in that. Okay, let's go back though. He's looking for a hard worker. See, when he says, I want the person that says, can I not just give you a drink, but also give drink for your camels as well. He's looking for someone with initiative. Someone who wants to work hard. Someone who's Afrikaans. See, I, I understand hard work, and I thought of myself as a decently hard worker. I'm the your quintessential type B personality. <laughs> hey. <laughs> See, my wife comes from the family that says, I work, therefore I am. And you are put on this earth to work. And work is hard. And it's unpleasant. And if you're smiling, then you must not be working hard enough. Fun is not something you schedule. Fun is wasting time. Fun is laziness. I'll never forget the first time I went on holiday with her, her parents. We were going to the sea, to the beach. We get up at an ungodly hour to drive down. And every fruit truck in the nation is on the road, and her dad is driving, and he's one of those stressed drivers. So making good time is everything. So we got to make good time, make good time. So you can't stop and just go to the wimpy and, you know, care and have a nice breakfast. You got to get to there, get there, get there, get there. So we get to the place. And, and the first thing you have to do is unload the car. Right. Then you take all your stuff to your rooms, take things to the kitchen. Da, 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 da. You have to unpack. I thought unpack was just dump it on the bed. No, no, no. You have to take. I was planning to live out of my suitcase. No, you have to take everything out of the suitcase and put it in the drawers. But you can't put it in the drawers first. You still have to wipe out the drawers Didn't somebody do that before we got here? No, just in case they didn't do it well, you have to do it. All right. So you unpack. Okay, now we're going to go to the beach. No, no, now we have to start getting ready for lunch. It's 10 a.m. Now we had to get ready for lunch. So we had to get ready for lunch. Then we have to eat the lunch. Then we have to clean up after the lunch. Now we're going to go. And there was this, the entire first day we never went to the sea. So, and the first one to sit down and watch TV loses. 
So I figured that one out. So I, I learned, okay, now I've, the next day I've got a plan. I announced at breakfast, I'm going to the sea after lunch. So everybody knows that's my plan, that there's no, you know, surprise, oh, Chuck, we need you to do this story. So as I'm getting ready to go, my mother-in-law says, oh, you need to take the little ones with you. Those are not my little ones. Those are my brother and sister-in-law's little ones. They have parents. I'm not going to the sea to work there, to babysit. I want to be in the, in the ocean. I want to be in the waves. I want to uh, splish splash. I've got, see this thing I blew up? That's, that's for me to, 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 to be in the sea with. So it was a really awful holiday. I've learned that if I ever go to visit them, I just stay in the kitchen and, and make coffee. You know, because I don't know what else to do because it's going to be the wrong thing otherwise. Anybody want some coffee? Anybody want some coffee? Okay. Just make coffee. Anyway. My wife understands hard work. In fact, the worst thing, you can tell my wife she's ugly. You can tell her she's fat. You can tell her anything at all. But the one thing you may never say to her is that she's lazy. That is the worst insult in the entire world. If you say to me, Chuck, I think you're lazy. Okay. <laughs> Maybe. Sometimes. <laughs> she announced to me over this holiday that we are failures as parents because our children only want to sit in front of the TV and just be entertained. That when she was a kid, when school holidays came, she had a plan. She was going to pack right her cupboards. <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> that was your holiday plan? First of all, I don't believe it. But even if it was true, you know, I don't judge my children because I want to just sit and watch TV if I could, you know. But my wife looks, she can't just watch TV. She has to knit because otherwise it's downtime that she was unproductive. She has to be productive. You know. So it's, I think it's harder for her to be married to me than me to be married to her. But anyway, Eliezer is looking for a hard worker. Secondly, he's looking for a willing giver. One of the things I also respect about my wife is she's a giver. She loves to give and she will... You know, where I will think about giving somebody a hundred rand, she will give them a whole car full of groceries, you know. She just wants to give. She, she, she lives to give. Eliezer knows that Isaac needs someone who is a willing giver. Somebody who has a personality to just give. He's a stranger. And he wants somebody who sees the stranger and says, hey, can I help you in a hospitable way? He wants his, understand this. One of the things I like about Afrikaans culture is the emphasis on manners. American children are known for being ill-mannered. That my wife can't stand going to the States and staying with certain friends because her, her hand starts to quiver. Quiver. 
So manners were a big deal in our house, and so if you were to come to my house and my son doesn't greet you, there will be consequences, you know. But I don't have to worry about it because he will, without being told to, he will come up to you and he will introduce himself and, and greet you very nicely. Why? Because we've emphasized it, and now he wears that as a value. Yes, I'm the kid with the good manners. He's great. Eliezer wants... See, by the way, I score out of his good manners. People think that I'm a good parent because I have children with good manners. (laughs) My daughter graduated from high school. She got, I think, five or six distinctions. I can't remember which one. Anyway, but she got enough to make me look good. And I didn't really help her at all. But I took credit for it. Yeah, I'm a good parent. He wants a person that's willing to do more than is asked of them. I've learned the value of this in my life as well, to be a person that goes beyond what's asked. People talk about the word submission. You know, it's not just wives submit to your husbands. You're supposed to submit to your boss. You're supposed to admit, there's all kinds of authorities you're supposed to submit to. The difference, the Bible doesn't say that children should submit. It says children obey your parents. That means you've got to do what you're told. Submission means go beyond obedience and do more than is asked. See, I told my son, you need to wash the dishes. So I don't care if he's crying, I don't care if he's angry, I don't care if there's a smile on his face or a frown on his face, I just want to come back and find the dishes are washed that he obeyed what I said. And many times kids do only the bare minimum. They do only what was asked and nothing more. But a husband who loves his wife and a wife who loves her husband looks around and says, hmm, what would my wife want to have happen here. My wife has not asked me to clean up the kitchen, but I know she will be blessed if I do. I may score out of that as well, but okay. Happy wife, happy life, and that really is true. So I do all kinds of stuff I didn't used to do because I found that that just blesses. I get up in the mornings first, and I go downstairs, and I let the dogs out. I have dogs not because I care about dogs. I don't care about dogs. I allow my family to have dogs for which I made the proviso that I should have nothing at all to do with anything. You know how well that works. So even though I don't do much, I do more than I agreed to do. But I let them out in the morning and let them back in, you know, let them do their thing. If there's a mess in the kitchen, then I have to clean that up on my way to the coffee pot. So then I will make coffee and I will bring it upstairs with some rusts for my wife and I to enjoy, you know, coffee and tea in bed. And so that's something that is now sort of a tradition in our house. Nothing that I was told to do. 
nothing that I'm asked to do, something I decided to do to bless, to do more than I've been asked to do. It's not a big deal. There's times where my wife is working late, so I think, okay, let me make supper then. You know, now my suppers are not as good as hers, you know, obviously. I, I made supper last night, hamburger and chips. I made the burgers myself. Let's go back to this. Genesis 24. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, Please give me a little water to drink from your jar. She said, Drink, my lord. And she quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. And when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. She fulfills exactly what he's asked. And so he knows that's the sign, this is the one. But that leads them, leads for him to ask her family for her to be Isaac's wife. Now, here comes the interesting thing. She has to decide what she's going to do. Look at this, in verses 56 to 58. He said to them, do not delay me since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away that I may go to my master. They said, let us call the young woman and ask her. And they called Rebekah and said to her, will you go with this man? And she said, I will go. Will you go with this man? Will you accept that his prophetic word is also a prophetic word for you? Will you accept that there is not just a responsibility he's fulfilling, but you're part of it? That there's an onus on you now, that there's something that you are agreeing to, not just to get married, not just to have a husband, but that there's something that God has planned, and you say, I know this is God's plan for me as well. There is a plan for this church. God has a plan. There's a reason why it was built. There's a reason why it's here. There's a culture that's being established. There's something that God is doing. And your presence here has to reflect that something in your spirit connects to God's plan for living the word centurion. And you feel like, I need to be part and parcel of that because that's the journey God has called me to go on as well. Marriage has to have that. My daughter never had a boyfriend. Praise God. Because she's absolutely beautiful. She really takes after me. So last year, there was this little thing they call matric dance. Matric upskate. So there was no one in her life to ask, and she'd had some negative uh, experiences previously. She, she was in an all-girls school. She was in Afrikaans Macy's Hoor, and um, so she, she didn't, you know, have any classmates to ask her to do the thing. So she had to find somebody. So she said, Daddy, will you pray and get a prophetic word for me of who I should ask? All right, let's pray. So the Lord said to me, it's not somebody she knows. It's not going to be somebody that I work out for her. It's something that God's going to do on his own. Okay. Well, she accepted that word. This is in July. 
first of all, they went looking for a dress, and I'm thinking, okay, we're going to expend a lot of money, maybe a couple thousand rands. That's a lot of money. The price tag was almost 10,000 rands for a dress, and she didn't have a date. And I had nothing to say about it. That's how much dresses cost. That's how much wedding dresses cost, Sinette. In fact, I was thinking we were going to get out of the whole wedding for that. You know, I'm starting to steal myself for the fact that I may need a house loan. I don't know. So anyway, it's the end of September is this dance, and now all of August comes and goes, and there's nobody on the horizon. The beginning of September happens, and she's starting to get really nervous. In fact, it's two weeks before the thing, and my wife and I are flying out of the country. We are in the U.K. for, uh, for ministry there, when all of a sudden... Christian shows up. She met him at her aunt's house. And I'm not going to give you the whole story, but just tip chop, all of a sudden he's going with her. And she had the Cinderella night of her dreams. And they have been an item ever since. Now she's, she's at Polchefstroom University, and he's at Tucky's, and she has a reason to come home every weekend. <clears throat> Things are going well. And I, I, you know, I planned on being that really hard-nosed dad that was difficult to the, to the guy. You know, that was my plan. What is going on here? And so um, I didn't. I wanted to be the guy that just would be intimidating to the guy, you know. That was my plan. You want to date my daughter? Okay, pal. (laughs) One thing you got to know. I got no problem getting deported. I couldn't get there. He was such a great guy. He was so good. I said, no, go, go out. Go, go, go for him. (laughs) Can I give you some money, please, you know? He's really, really cool. I, I like him. He's, he's just, his head. And here's the thing. I like what his effect on her has been. I see a maturity in her. It's like, wow, okay. She's really grown up. She's, she's not doing kid stuff. She's now embracing adulthood. And it's just, I like where this thing is going. I like what decisions she's making even in terms of, okay, how to help this relationship, how to accommodate it. She's not one of those people that's going to wrap him around her finger, and he's not doing that either. I like the effect they have on each other. I'm not saying this is, this is the one. It could well be. But what I'm saying is this. I love it when people pray and ask God to help them with this decision. And it's a faith step. Because here's the point. 
From saying yes to this, Rebecca comes into an Abraham anointing. She doesn't know about this. She doesn't even know what that means. I'm not going to tell you what it means. It's an anointing of faith and trust that God is directing her life. It's submission to God's will that, God, you're in charge. I don't even know what's going on, but you know. Let me, let me show you this even in the book of Hebrews. Verse, chapter 11, verse 8 says this. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. This is the true Abraham anointing that God says go and you go and you don't even know what the end of this journey is going to be. When you have that, when you take that step of faith, you are being like Abraham. And there is a calling again and again and again throughout this congregation, and I have prayed, and God has said that to me. This is why I'm saying it to you. He's saying to people, step out. I told you to step out, and you said I had to know, first of all, where it's going to end up. I need to know the outcome. I need to know the destination, and God is saying, trust me is your answer. Should I do this? Should I not do this? And you're weighing the pros and cons, and you're trying to have a logical answer for God's leading you, and God is saying, I'm not telling you what it's going to be. And sometimes it means you have to leave your family to obey God. That's what Abraham did. He left his father. He left that, that place. Because God said, go to the land I will show you. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Now, if you say that to someone, they're going to tell you you are stupid. Accept this. Write it down. Make it a tattoo. Put it somewhere where you see it on your arm, chest, whatever. A spiritual word defies logic. Do not use logic to figure out the Spirit of God. Do not use logic to, to uh, figure out what God wants you to do. I find so many people, even you hear preachers say this, you need to use the common sense God gave you. I got news for you. God didn't give you common sense. The world gave you common sense. That's why it's called common sense. It's the sense that makes sense to the world. It's, it's natural man's good sense. See, i got a Bible full of nutty things, absolutely insane things that God has told people to do. That's how God works. God tells you to do things that make no sense. In my life, nothing has made really a lot of sense. God tells me to come to South Africa, and he raises me up in an African church as a pastor. Guess what? See, I was coming to actually raise up African pastors, and then God told me to stop that and become a pastor in an African church. What sense does that make? I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not a very good African. I'm disqualified for obvious reasons. But God has made it work. 
by his grace. Then he called me from there to go to a place called Lievendavurt, the most Afrikaans charismatic church in the entire city of Pretoria. What sense does that make? There were English churches I could have gone to. They knew who I was. Why did Neville Norden want me at a place called Lievendavurt? And through all kinds of ups and downs, I've stayed there since 2007. That's now 11 years plus. And God has just raised me up. And it doesn't have to make sense. In my office, I see lots of people, of which over 75, maybe 80% of the people who come to see me are Afrikaans. And many of them come to me speaking Afrikaans. And I have to look at their lips. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Just to make sure, you know. I don't always understand everything everybody says. You know, sometimes you think you know what it is. and you know, Okay, right. I think I know that word. Okay. I mean, it's, you know, Afrikaansisms are not always easy for me. My one time my wife says, Now I know every word in that sentence. And I just couldn't get there. <laughs> Explain this to me. I mean, we got, okay, there's a tree, right? And there's a cat, okay. I'm still trying to figure out Yania. But God calls you and you obey without knowing why, without having to answer the question why or where. Okay, God, you said go, let's go. The answer to your question is yes. Go. Look at this. When Rebecca says yes, she receives a blessing. I want you to look at this closely. They blessed Rebecca and they said to her, Our sister, may you become thousands of ten thousands and may your offspring possess the gate of those who hate him. That seems like a nice blessing, but I want you to to look at it closely because something interesting is going on here. And they're unaware of what they're doing because what they have done is that, well, I mean, before I get to it, let me first of all say there's some wordplay going on. Here's where the geek in me comes out, okay? The first one is the word to bless is the word barak, which is is a wordplay on Rebecca, rabak, and then... The word 10,000s is rababa, again from Rebecca. You get a, a word play there. On top of that, there's another one. The word offspring, possess, and gate are in word place because the word yarash means to possess. The word sha'ar is a gate, and the word zerah is offspring. So for those of you who care about those kinds of things, it's kind of cool if you look at it and see that. I thought it was cool. But I want you to get this. This is the more important part. 
The Abraham anointing on Rebekah causes her family to bless her with a blessing like his. This is the really cool part. Look at this. In Genesis 22, just two chapters earlier, after the whole Abraham Isaac thing on, on Mount Maria, God says to him, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore, and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you obeyed my voice. So in the same way that God says, I'm going to multiply your offspring, a, Rebecca is told by her family, or she's blessed by her family, that she has ten thousands, which is, again, multiplication. But also, possess that, that, that your, your offspring possess the gates of their enemies. The same blessing going on here. Why? Because she's entered into an Abraham anointing, therefore she gets an Abraham blessing. The blessings of Abraham are ours only if we walk as Abraham walked, if we walk in faith. And that walking in faith entails for many of you right now in 2018 here at the beginning of April to take that step of faith not knowing where you're going but trusting that God knows where you're going. It's not just a, here goes nothing. It's a thing that says, no, God has spoken. I know he spoke. I don't know what it, the end will be, but I know God said, step, go. And you take the step. With this anointing of Abraham comes the same faith struggle. So it's one thing to say, woo, I want Abraham's blessings are mine. Abraham's blessings. And we want the blessings of Abraham. We want the blessing, blessing, blessing. And that's there. That comes with this. But guess what? There's also the same faith struggle that Abraham has. Notice this one. In chapter 25, it says, uh, verses 21 22, Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. The children struggled within her, and she said, If it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. Do you see? It's the whole Abraham story in miniature. Abraham can't have children. Rebekah can't have children. Abraham finally has two children. And guess what? They fight. Ishmael, Isaac. But Clay, she's got it in one dose in her womb at the same time. What is going on here? There's twins, but they are fighting with each other in the womb. Because she's an Abraham. She has become a part of the promise. She says, why is this happening to me? And the answer is, the answer is the promise that God made to Abraham about Ishmael and Isaac is being played out between Esau and Jacob. Let's look at this. Romans chapter 9, verses 9 through 12. For this is what the promise said about this time next year, and I will return, and Sarah shall have a son. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, 
though they were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told the older will serve the younger. There's a promise to Abraham that it is election. It's not by what anybody has done, good or bad. God has chosen you. In the same way that he chose Isaac. In the same way that he chose Jacob. Not because one was good and one was bad. But because God does what he wants to do. God does what he wants and you don't get to tell God how to do his job. Don't look at someone else's blessing and say, hey, how about a little sugar for me? I mean... He's not so great. We get jealous of other people's financial blessings because we want things to be fair. Great offer comes word that. My children used to always say that all the time. Disney Ferni. I got news for you. God does things according to his will. And his will doesn't revolve around my system of fairness. God's plan is great. Even when it involves something I don't like. I was standing next to a couple ladies at the Bible College in Brumaria. And um, they were part-time lecturers is one of, the, one of the Bible college open houses. And, and so while I'm standing next to this lady, a, a prophetic word just wells up in me. And I had to say to her, the Lord is just saying that he's going to open up doors in this church and you're going to teach. You're going to, your ministry is going to be received and you're just going to go up, up, up. And the lady standing next to her says, why don't you give me a word like that? And immediately the Spirit of God spoke to me and says, because that's not your word. God is taking you out of this church. God is taking you to a place where you will be used by him with no glory. You will receive no accolades. You will receive no appreciation for all the hard work and sacrifice you do, yet I will use you greatly. Both words came to pass. At the end of the day, we would like the one where the people tell us how wonderful we are. But the fact is this, Wherever I am, let it be that I know I'm where God wants me to be and that I feel his hand on me saying, well done, my good and faithful servant. Because ultimately, man's glory, man's accolade, man's honor fades away. Let's not have the world's value system that says that, you know, man's status is what it's about. But that we have an obedience that says, I don't care what people think, I need to know what God thinks. And I know that where I am is where God wants me to be, what I'm doing is what God wants me to do, and that I have been faithful and obedient to him, and that he is blessed by that. Rebecca says yes to God, And becomes a part of the promised story of election. Why is it that I have 
this fighting going on, it's because there is a faith struggle just like Abraham had. Because she's a type of Abraham. If you're called to be a type of Abraham, there's going to be a struggle. If you have been having a struggle, don't think it's because there's something wrong. It means there's something right. And the struggle has a conclusion which says God chooses who he chooses for what he wants. You don't have to understand it. You don't have to justify his choice. He doesn't have to justify his choice. He chooses Jacob, the deceiver. Wasn't Isaac's choice. God chooses who he wants. And you don't get to tell God, choose someone else. In the movie Fiddler on the Roof, Tevye the milkman is having a conversation with God about all the troubles that they have. He says, I realize we are the chosen people, but would you mind choosing someone else for a change? He has a daughter that's going to get married to a rich man in the village. And the second daughter's boyfriend, who's the communist, has a hard time to congratulate her. And he says, you know, how come you're not congratulating He says, you know, money's no reason to get married. And he says, why not? He says, he says, money's the world's curse. World's curse. So he goes outside, he says, then may the Lord smite me with it, and may I never recover. <laughs> world's curse. We don't get to tell God his plan is not a good plan. Because it doesn't look good to other people. I need to know I'm where God wants me to be. I need to know that the promise of God in me is that he selects people to be raised up. People ask me, how do you become a pastor at Levin Devord? I don't know how I became a pastor at Levin Devord. I was just walking down the street and they just dragged me in. All I know is I have been raised up the way God wanted. Not, understand this. I got a doctorate in Greek. Guess how much I use that in my job? No one wants to know Greek. No, everybody wants to quote Greek and not ask me to tell them is that right or not. You know, people on the stage and they quote Greek and Hebrew and they make a point not to look at my eyes. But all the people are saying, okay, what's Chuck's reaction? What's Chuck's reaction? Does he smile? Does he nod his head? Here's the weird part of my life. If Levin DeVort was going to have some kind of a missions conference and they'd say, okay, who can we get to talk about leaving your country and going to where God's called them to go? Who could we get? Who we, I would, they wouldn't think of me. I, I wouldn't even be on the short list or the long list. I, I wouldn't even be considered because... They just don't even think about it. If they, I've been in Soshinguve since 1991. That is 27 years. If they have a, a, a seminar on cross-cultural communication or, or racial reconciliation, who could we get to talk about this? I won't be on the list. I'm hidden. Who could we get to talk about the Jewish roots of our faith? I'm never asked. Why? 
That's not the calling on my life at Leavende Vord. And so when they want prophetic, they call me. And I, I was a little upset with God about that. I said, Lord, I got a doctorate in Greek. I want to use it. And he said, if somebody comes to you and says, wow, Chuck, thank you for that, those amazing insights on Greek and Hebrew. I, that was so amazing. I would say, thank you very much. I worked long and hard to get that knowledge, and yes, I know it's amazing. You'll take the glory for yourself, but if I use you prophetically, you're not that smart. So God gets the glory. So, okay, I, I guess. Let me not tell God how he should use me because that's the thinking that you and I would have had if we were in charge of the early church. We would have made Paul in charge of the church in Jerusalem. He knew the chief priests. He knew the Sadducees. He knew the Pharisees by name. Nickname, in fact. He went to school with those guys. The Jews, Jew, God sends to be the apostle to the Gentiles. I'm going to be honest with you. That was a really poor choice on God's part. Logically, Paul was not very good at being an apostle to the Gentiles in terms of speaking their language. Paul is so Jewish. When I was doing my doctorate and I looked at the Talmud and the Mishnah and all these other Jewish works, you see Paul on almost every page. He's so Jewish, he can't stop it. He's way over the heads of these Gentiles when it comes theologically. But he was effective and he knew why God's grace. He says, look, he says, God's strength is perfected in my weakness. Did you know that God needs your weakness to perfect his strength? Isn't that weird? I'm saying that God wants to choose you, and you don't have an excuse to say why he shouldn't. Because God does what he wants all the time with us, different than we would have thought, different than we would have chosen Embrace the plan. Embrace God's plan for you. Embrace God's plan for your children. Embrace God's plan for your neighbor without telling them what you think when you haven't prayed about it. Don't give a knee-jerk answer of your own human wisdom for anything, any vision that somebody has. There's your role is not to tell people what's wrong with them always. My daughter, two years ago, was in a school play, Beauty and the Beast. They did the musical, Beauty and the Beast, all right? So she signed up, and she is working long hours going to practice after practice. I don't even know what she's supposed to be until it comes time to watch her. And guess what? Her role in this play is to be a dancing plate. So all those hours that we spent, all, those, all those, the time we took you to and from practice is just so you can be a dancing plate on the stage. Is that it? Seriously? So we go to the performance, and guess what? She is the absolute worst dancing plate in the entire cupboard. I mean, she's looking at other people. Which, 
So at the intermission, my wife and I, my wife says to me, Chuck, what are we going to say to her? I said, I know what I'm going to say to her. Talia, I'm so proud of you. Took such courage to be on that stage. Man, you work so hard. I'm just so proud of you. You sing so well. I said, she's got a director to tell her that she's awful. She's got other people in her life to tell her that she can't dance. She's not going to hear it from me. That's not my role in her life. My role is to tell her what's wonderful, what's amazing about her. I have a calling on my life to encourage her and to, to build her up, not set her straight. Other people will do that. Don't be a dream killer. Don't be a calling killer. Embrace God's will for you is not necessarily logical and other people are going to have problems with it. But don't be the person that has problems with someone else's call from God if there's a genuine call. Embrace it. I could go on, but I'm going to let that just kind of be the end of the sermon. I'm going to ask you all to stand. And I'm going to assume that the Holy Spirit has spoken to everyone here. So I'm not going to even ask you to stand if he's spoken because I'm going to say he has spoken. I declare that he's spoken to you, okay? And I'm going to lead us in a prayer of acceptance of what he wants to do. At the end, if you don't want to say amen, then don't say amen. But I'm going to pray as if I'm you, and you say amen if I've said what you needed to say. Let's pray. Lord, in the name of Jesus, I thank you that you have a calling. You have a special calling that you're, you're bringing forth. And we will not be disobedient. We will not fail you. We will not stand in the way. But like Abraham, like Rebecca, we will step forward and say, I will go. Even though we don't have all the answers. We just know it's you. And so we bless you for your calling on us. We bless you for your plan. We bless you for the destiny and purpose for which we were created. And we say, here am I, Lord God. Send me. In Jesus' name, amen.